Welcome to The Climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. This podcast exists because we want you to win. We want to provide motivational, inspirational, and educational content that's going to help you be the best indie artist you can be and also teach you how to get your art in there, make people aware of it. That's why we called it The Climb. You're going to need leverage. It stands for Creating Leverage in the Music Business, C-L-I-M-B, you see. I want to introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent is an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lanny Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And what I love about Brent, he also helps songwriters turn pro by teaching the art, the craft, and the business of songwriting. And you can find Brent at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. It's an innovative artist development company. They help you find your sound and they help you find your audience. Not only do they develop and improve your artistry, they also grow and monetize your fan base, creating cash flow. Yeah, baby. yeah, Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at Daredevil Production. That's production and singular. No S. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is only one Johnny Dwinell. <laughs> How you doing, Brent? I'm doing all right. Doing all right, man. Oh, man I'm today. stoked about today's show. Stoked, yes, stoked, because we don't have to do most of the talking. I know. We, we, we figured this out. Like, let's just get really, really important people on. <laughs> um, <laughs> there we go. Today, we have a guest that we're going to bring on, Kevin Bruner, who's the vice president of marketing at CD Baby. And uh, also, uh, and Kevin's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the DIY Music Conference is his baby as well. And uh, we're going to dig it into is. that uh, a little bit. But uh, you know what I like about Kevin is... is He's a vice president of marketing at this company, CD Baby, which is one of the premier distributors of music in the world. But he's a musician. He's a songwriter. He's an artist. He started out that way, and he is still that way. He's he's uh, one of the driving forces behind Small Town Poets, which is a, uh, a Christian rock band. And um, we're going to dig into that a little bit. And um, man, I mean, what a, what uh, the perfect dude to have in a position that he's in, right? Because he's going to see it from both sides. Exactly. He's, he's been doing it. That's right. So with uh, further ado here, we'd like to, uh, we got him on the line right now. How are you doing, Kevin? Welcome to The Climb. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. That was quite an intro. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope I, I live up to the hype. <laughs> I'm quite sure you will. I, I uh, if not, we'll fix it in post. It's all right. We'll uh, okay. Good. Yeah. Fix it in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, you know, I, I listened to your uh, a few of the episodes on your podcast, and you're uh, what 175 episodes or more in now. Over at it's it's called the the DIY. Um, is it the DIY, DIY podcast? musician podcast? DIY musician, DIY musician pod- okay. podcast. Okay, yeah. and uh, I think it was episode one seventy three, if I'm not mistaken. Was you started out with the speech that you gave to open the DIY conference in Chicago last year, and called "Cutting Through Correct. the Clutter." And um, you know, I liked that. Just really resonated with me because that's certainly what we're preaching here at 
at Daredevil. That's how we are able to grow the artists and develop them in the marketplace is with a keen understanding of, uh, I don't want to say we have, because we don't have all the answers more than anybody else does, but we're asking the right questions because it's about cutting through that clutter. And I love that. I love that you're an artist first. Can you give us just a quick little background on, on, you know, where you're from and how you made it to where you're at right now? Yeah. Uh, I went to Nashville to college. I, I grew up in San Diego, but wanted to pursue music and went to Nashville to college and studied at Belmont University. Uh, was a music major and studied music business there as well. And it was really an amazing four years of just being right in the thick of it, right there at the end of Music Row, seeing the industry firsthand and being able to not only learn about it, but participate in it. And uh, while I was there, I, you know, met one of my roommates, was friends with these guys from Atlanta that were reforming this band, and I'm a guitar player, and they needed a guitar player, and so I started playing guitar in the band of Small Town Poets, and later that summer, we had clear interest from some record labels. This was the mid-90s, and we had some clear interest from labels. And by that fall, we were signed and working on our debut album. And it was released through Forefront Records, which doesn't exist anymore. It was a, a label under the EMI umbrella, which now, you know, they've kind of consolidated all those properties. I don't even know what they would have consolidated under, too. But um, so we had, you know, it, the label had some other very big artists on it at the time. And we saw some success. We saw some had some number one songs, and and were nominated for a Grammy and Dove Awards, and sold a lot of records, and was on the road constantly. And eventually, I left that situation. You know, as a lot of people do, feeling a little uh, disenchanted by how the industry works and the artist's place in it, and especially when it comes to getting paid. And ended up in the Northwest and started doing music independently and ended up finding CD Baby like back in 2003 when it was a you know, place to sell CDs online and iTunes distribution was this brand new thing that was about to happen. Uh, and started putting out music independently and I've just been uh, a strong advocate of independent artists and, and artists being the driver of their career, whether they're working with a label or whoever they have working on their behalf, that they are really at the center of driving their own career and understand the choices that they're making and the path to success and really understanding what they're trying to accomplish and making sure what they're really doing lines up with that. So yeah, I started working at CD Baby in 2006 and I think my 11th anniversary is next week. So happy anniversary in a long yeah. time. Yeah. So it's been cool to see the industry change and shift and more power going to the artists and more revenue opportunities going for made available to independent artists and uh, all the, you know, the access to the marketplace and direct contact with fans and being able to build a career around music. And so it's been amazing to see. And I'm, I'm very excited about where things are at heading into 2017 and what people can accomplish with their music. I mean, that's where that's where we're coming from, too. I mean, while so many people here, I mean, I'm in Nashville, Brent's in Nashville, and we hear an endless amount of banter, um, complaining and people just kind of with the 
what just happened look on their face <laughs> with the music industry. But I see opportunity. I, I, I think it's going to bring us back to uh, better art because it's no longer has to be art by committee. We can just have artists be them true, the best versions of themselves. And they have a, a way to target an audience, connect with that audience and build a relationship with them. And they don't need to ask anybody's permission, which is what excites me to see in you know 10 years from now, where, where, where we're going to be and w- what kind of artists are, are going to be happening. Yeah, exactly. I was reflecting on that this past week, you know, when we were pursuing music and when I started my musical journey, you really had to get one guy in an office to get behind your music. And then there was a lot of, discussion is this going to be a hit is this going to sell and it's like now just just put the music out there there's so little friction to getting it in to the market where the fans can decide let them decide what's good what's uh, worthy to have an audience and uh, you know not do all this second guessing let the artists create good art because a lot of albums that ended up being the biggest albums of all time classic albums that people will talk about for years and years were albums that almost got shelved or someone didn't really believe in. And it's like, clearly one person's opinion is not all that matters about music. So I think it's just great for artists to just get their music out there, get it in front of people, get feedback and create, making, uh, continue making great music. I love that. Amen. From your position, uh, as a marketing, as the VP of marketing at CD baby, what has there been any talk in your circles? Um, and if so, what is the last year, do you think, for physical product? Well, it, it depends on who you are and what, what kind of music you make and the makeup of your fan base. There's artists that are still selling a ton of physical products. And it you know it just really depends on your genre and what you're doing. If you're on the road a lot, there's people that still they'll go to the merch table and they understand what a CD is and they'll buy it. They may not be buying it to go stick it in their car to listen or in a CD player. A lot of them are just buying it because they love the band and that's what they know. It's like more of a piece of memorabilia from the show, but mm-hmm. they know what that item is and they're not interested in a t-shirt. So it just depends on what you're doing. We still sell lots of CDs around the world uh, for artists, but it is definitely on the decline. Vinyl has become a nice piece for certain genre groups and certain artists if you've got a larger fan base and haven't tried vinyl i i think it would be uh, an interesting experiment it's not as cost effective as a cd so that's something that uh, artists need to be aware of if they're like you know they want to buy vinyl it's you know it's a bigger investment and you get a far less return on you know you have to charge a whole lot more per item but you know it's definitely a shift towards digital we're, we, I think in 2017, it's like the streaming world is here. It's not something that we're in transition to anymore. Uh, we are in a streaming world now, and there's still play and will continue to get play. You know, tapes are still around for some markets, and, and actually some <laughs> yeah. people started started making those again. I heard that. Um, like it, like the, the cassette I'm, tape is coming back. Like It's what? like the next vinyl, I guess. And and whenever someone tells me it's like, oh, it's going to be as big as mine, I laugh because tapes sound terrible. They never sounded good. They were a, a item of convenience. People were going back to vinyl because vinyl sounds good and has a warmer sound than the digital 
version on CD. Tapes get melted in your car. They're horrible. I don't want a tape. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm with so, you there. But there's lots of people. But if you, but hey, if your fans will buy them and they're interested in them, make some tapes. Go sell some tapes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's formats that will still be around. CDs aren't going to just disappear. Uh, vinyl is at some point will, you know, kind of play out, but it's not just going to disappear. Um, but the preferred format that in 2017, I mean, people are adopting streaming like never before. And, you know, honestly, in my opinion, it wasn't necessarily even just consumer choice. Uh, the download experience became such a horrible experience on the iPhone that I feel like it, it was almost like we were forced into it. Um, half my music catalog got, you know, removed from, from my iTunes account and just, it's it in the cloud. Is it not in the cloud? Why can't I just get access to my music? This has become too much trouble. And then streaming is actually far more, uh, a simple solution. Um, and so I feel like a lot of that was, you know, consumers, no one perfected the download experience for mobile devices. And so streaming just, it became, uh, this is easier. I'm just going to do this and stop messing with all these files that work on some devices, not on others. And, and so, yeah, we're in a streaming world and I think it's exciting, even though you see some negative headlines out there. We just did an episode of the podcast, how to get your music on Spotify playlists and just some really cool opportunities and ways to reach audiences and get your music out there that are powered by the things that are happening on streaming platforms. Hey, I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> that tees up the next question that I had. Um, as far as, I feel like we're right in the middle of this sort of breakdown and, and the reemergence of the new music business. We're kind of, I feel like we're maybe halfway through that, right? We still got a long way to go. But um, one of the big missing items is that that's, I think, functional and, and mission critical to a thriving music industry are tastemakers, which used to be the, 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 that role was performed by MTV and by the DJs back in the day. And now that less and less people are listening to the radio because they have choices in the car through their iPhone and they can stream. Uh, I'm curious to know uh, if you could touch on what your opinions are on some of the, the most promising tastemakers. I know it could, you mentioned, um, playlists on Spotify. And uh, I mean, if you, if you could expand on that a little bit and talk about like, are there playlists that indie artists can get into? Are they sort of all bought up now? Do the major labels have a big hand in that kind of keeping the indie artist out? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Actually, it's a huge opportunity for independent artists because even though there are uh, the major labels do have their playlisting brands that you will see on Spotify. One of them is called Topsify. Another one is called Digster. Uh, and I forget which which major label each of those brands go with. Um, but even even those playlisting brands, their massive playlists, they're not just using their own catalog. They're actually pulling in the artists. I think the cool thing about what's happening with playlisting is you're seeing the opposite of what might have been assumed going in. Like the assumption being that major labels have their playlist. They're only going to play their music. Well, if you want to build an audience on a playlist, the playlist needs to be good and it needs to, uh, 
rotate out and have new and interesting things. If all you're doing is interested in promoting your own catalog, it's going to get stale and probably not be as good as it can be and ultimately not get your your catalog pieces that are in the playlist in front of as many people as possible. So there's a lot of those playlists that are using independent music. We're seeing a lot of artists here at CD Baby get added to big playlists. There was an artist that uh, we just uh, were talking to uh, just a couple weeks ago that's using us for distribution. And one of their tracks that came out in 2007 got added to the main Spotify coffee shop playlist. And it has like 1.8 million subscribers or followers to that playlist. Might even be more than that. Um, And over the course of, you know, like a year or so, he's had 50 million plays on Spotify, mainly just from that addition to that one playlist. And it's an old old track that came out in 2007 before Spotify even existed. Hmm. And it's finding this kind of success on the platform. So to me, that's what's, Really cool. The idea of the retail shelf life is gone. You know, when I had our first, when Small Town Poets had our first album come out, it's like if you jump through all those hurdles to even get someone to put your album out in the first place, you still had to deal with the store owners and getting mm-hmm. space on their shelf and trying to convince them to keep it there long enough for people to even have actually have the opportunity to buy it. And if you're lucky, it might stick around for six months. If you're really lucky, they might still have stock of your album in a year. But then it moved on to new releases, and everything was based on what's new, what's the latest and greatest. The platforms now are based on what's just good music. doesn't matter when it came out. doesn't matter uh, if it was, you know, the, this week's release or if it was something from 10 years ago. If it's great, if it fits, the purpose and the usage that people are wanting to use it, it can find a new audience and live a much longer life. And that's what we're seeing with streaming is that people were thinking about streaming is that kind of relating it back to that retail shelf life and that I've only got this amount of time. And then if I don't make all the money in the first year, then I'm not going to make money off this album. Well, we're seeing a different trend. We're seeing that albums have a much higher earning potential for a much longer time that, that, you know, it could, the song could earn money for 10 years, 20 years on mm-hmm. these platforms. No one's going to remove it. As long as it can find an audience and people want to keep hearing it, they can make money. That's cool. One, one thing, this is Brent. And I was thinking about when you're talking about Topsify and Dixter and some of these label sponsored or label ran playlist, dropping an in independent artist is I wonder if they, use that as a way to kind of test run some of these independent artists that they may want to end up signing. If they use that to go, if they look at those metrics, if they have those metrics and think, okay, let's, let's pepper them in with our artist, see what the reaction is and see if the people, you know, run at the flagpole, see if the people salute and, hmm, you know, cause they're always interested in, you know, proof of concept. Let's, let's run yeah. it on our, pl- do you see any of that? Or you think that might be something that might be in the future? It just something I never really thought of before. I've thought of people. Yeah. They want to get on Spotify playlist, get their spins and try to get discovered that way. But I wonder if labels might even be using that as almost a, a farm team. There's zero cost investment really to start spending somebody else's song, but they can watch the numbers, see the reaction. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely happening. And I've heard of artists that are independent building a relationship in that way and, and then testing things out by putting uh, an artist in a playlist, but even beyond like the, the major label playlist, 
there's some massive playlists that are run by just completely independent folks. You know, some user that just puts together playlists and people like their playlists. Artists are building their own playlists. They're getting following. And uh, so, uh, yes, to your answer about uh, that being a testing ground for the major labels, but uh, I don't want to give the impression that the only good playlisting action is, you know, through the main Spotify playlist or these major label brands that have these playlists on the platform as well. There's so much opportunity out there just because music is being used in different ways than what we had, than how the business has operated for years and years in more of the retail environment and retail space um, and mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know, get to the fans. You know, seek ye first the fans and all the other exactly. stuff that we added to you, you know. Right, right from the, the Bible. Independent. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's from Second Assumptions. <laughs> um, so on, on, is there other sort of tastemaker platforms that you see emerging that you're excited about or interested in or that have that have got you curious? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Uh, as far as platforms, uh, playlist is probably the one that's where you see a new class of tastemakers emerging. I think what's interesting with what playlisting and Pandora point to is that it's less about someone like Pitchfork saying that they've put their their stamp of approval on it, uh, which still has value. Still has value. Uh, it's less about that and more about how do people want to use music. So when you go to something like Pandora or when you engage on a streaming service and are looking around through playlists, a lot of them are organized by mood or by a theme, like maybe what the user wants to do, like workout music. So if you've got a playlist that's great to listen to while working out, you might build this big audience. So a lot of the taste making tapping more about what the consumer or the end user might be wanting to do while they're listening. Uh, so uh, if you're an artist that 
is high energy and and really you know pumps people up it might be a different approach like your tastemaker may not be the you know the hard rock magazine it may be someone who's featuring this music to people who want to work out and listen to you know hard driving music while they're doing stuff that fits you know it's so i think it's a matter of like the there are these new tastemakers emerging that are around more about what the end user wants to do and there's still you know there's still lots of big brands and things that are trying to use music as a key piece of how they reach audiences as well so there's beyond you know the the old school was like hey the radio station that was the tastemaker then we got blogs and things like publications like pitchfork and then you know there's brands like red bull that are have giant music initiatives of their own that you're like why does red bull have a music initiative and you're like well because they're trying to curate uh music around audiences that they think will like Red Bull. And so there's all these different ways to get to those audiences and how people are trying to curate music and position themselves as some sort of tastemaker that draws in an audience. Gotcha. That's interesting. So um, uh, before we touch on the DIY conference, is there... um you know, any kind of innovation at all going on at CD Baby that you would feel comfortable talking about uh, as far as that might shed some light on the future of the music industry and how people are going to consume and and uh, want to either own their music or, I guess, consume is the word, consume the music. Yeah, for us, we're doing a lot of work to just open up a lot of the the data that's available to artists. We just launched these trending and analytics section of the accounts that, that reveal a lot of this data to artists on a daily, daily basis. So you can actually log into your CD baby account and see the kind of streams you're getting your songs day by day on Spotify, Apple music. You can see your daily downloads on iTunes. You can see what playlists are featuring your music on Spotify so really cool stuff that we're doing around there to just really give artists the tools to know that their marketing efforts are working, approach the market more strategically. It shows where all their streams and downloads are coming from, what regions of the country, what other countries. Uh, it's So that stuff, I think, is really key because, uh, you know, artists, it's an express frustration. They, they get to the point, they distribute their music, it's worldwide, and then they kind of go, so what, how do I even, you know, I don't even attack the whole world with trying to get somebody to listen to my music. And so a lot of it is like, hey, there's some success that might even be happening that you even know about. Let's uncover that. Let's make it clear so you can go throw fuel on that fire and, and run and Facebook ads, get more people in that area yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're huge in well, Luxembourg. Go through through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Run Facebook ads against it Luxembourg. <laughs> Yeah, we talked to I've talked to an artist recently that was like they found out they were just massive in Germany. They'd never been to Germany. And for whatever reason, they were just selling a ton of records in Germany. And so they went up. They said, I'm going to go tour Germany and start making that a part of what I do. And it was very successful. And it's just so those kind of things, I think, are really key uh, to really help artists understand what's happening with their music so they can react to it and what's working and what's not. So that's been a key area of focus. Another thing is uh, we just uh, are in the process of relaunching a music marketing platform that we acquired called show.co. 
and it's live and it's it's uh, available currently. Um, we're uh, making some tweaks to it to accommodate CD Baby artists so they don't have to to pay for the service. But we are like just starting to roll that announcement out. So um, CD Baby artists will very shortly be getting uh, information on how they can access all those tools for free. Some really cool marketing tools that uh, folks like uh, major label companies have been using the platform for about a year and a half. And uh, the the company decided they were going to go in a different direction and weren't able to scale it into independent artists. And we thought the tools were great and didn't want it to just disappear. So we acquired it. And there's some really like leading edge marketing tools to get people to follow you on Spotify to build your email list. One of the the record company that that manages all of Oasis's catalog, the band Oasis, uh, they use this constantly and have had some really cool success. And so I'm excited about that. I've got a few other things we're working on that people will be hearing about this coming year. Cool. And really just, you know, uh, uh, I think, you know, lots of, it's really, you know, we're really moving into the, the digital space and doing a lot of new brands and initiatives and various ways to help artists make money from their music. So that's always our, our core focus is how can we help artists make, more money from their music and open up new revenue streams like music publishing, which we've done and are continuing to expand that globally. That's great. Yeah. I was talking to Johnny before, cause being a writer, I don't sell records. You know, I'm not an independent artist. Mm-hmm. And what I knew of CD baby was, you know, friends of mine, Hey, I got a CD up on CD baby. And so I knew that they'd mail it out to me if I bought one from the site or whatever. And so I just want to applaud you for not becoming blockbuster video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, because, you know, you think, oh, CDs, oh, oh, boy, how's that working out for you? Well, it's working out for you. And that's great that you guys, you know, read the writing on the wall and said, let's get ahead of this thing and let's let's react to it. And I think it's kind of a metaphor for what artists have to do as well is go, OK, I need to adjust. And so it's great that you guys are doing that. I was like, OK, I'm just going to think now the CD stands for content distribution, baby. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good one we were joking saying it's it's good for completely digital but i like content distribution <laughs> <laughs> you could you could you could take that no extra charge no extra charge yeah, there, a, Kevin. yeah all right <laughs> it's a value right. bomb for you value yeah, bomb is, you know it is something that we're going to have to address at some point it's it's a challenge when you build a brand up to be so recognizable uh you know have so much brand equity it's really hard to figure out, do we change the name? If we do, when do we do that? Does it hurt us in the long run or how, when, when is that, you know, when does that time need to happen? So we, we have those discussions and that's part of why, why we've got some new brands that we have emerging that uh, are named different things and are speaking to different audiences. And so I love that, and, and and maybe maybe you don't need to change the name. Maybe you just add uh, you, you change the meaning of the name. You know, like content distribution, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that. that will become like more that. valuable <laughs> ten years from now. Like people will that it'll have a yeah. deeper meaning in the marketplace. You know, exactly. And yeah. you know, you never, if this whole songwriting thing doesn't work out for me, I, I may be calling you for a marketing job here in a few years. So we'll okay, just, there you go. Keep that in your there back you pocket. Well, hey, so uh, <laughs> this year in August, I think it's the first week in August, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the DIY Music Conference will be on its third year. Is that correct, Kevin? Yeah, and it's the 
I believe it's the third week in August. Yeah, it's, it's the 25th. 25th. I'm sorry. Thank, 20th, you, thank you for correcting yeah. me. So third week in August, and it's in Nashville this year, which is cool. Yes, it is. Um, this Very is, excited about what that. A, what a, what, I, I have some questions about this, because I think this is a, just a fantastic idea. I saw last year... Um, I don't know if this was your brainchild or if this has just sort of happened organically on its own, but uh, Tom Jackson was one of your presenters and mm-hmm. had a live Facebook uh, video. I'm, I'm, you know, we're friends on Facebook and he had a live Facebook thing going on and just let you into a little bit of his world and what he does. And he was doing this with the band at the conference working on their live show. And I just thought that was awesome i mean i watched that whole thing it was an hour long and but it was fascinating and uh so who are like your big who who are the who are your keynotes like what who are the biggest people are going to be presenting at the at the conference and maybe explain a little bit to our audience if they're not aware of what the diy music conference is what is it because i i know that this thing is it's incredibly inexpensive and you get a ton of of really valuable information. So if you could just expand on that so that our folks can know about it, it'd be great. Yeah, it's, you know, we had built sort of this content brand extension of CD Baby through the podcast. I do the DIY Musician podcast. I've been doing that since like 2007. And then we started the DIY Musician blog. And we had, people had asked us to start a conference for years and uh, the timing wasn't right. And then it was finally thinking about, you know, I maybe this is time for us to do it. There's sort of this new energy around people attending conferences, but then we sort of stopped and thought, well, we got to have a point to our conference. We need to have a purpose and it not just be another conference out there. So for us, some key things we wanted to address was one, we wanted to make sure it was absolutely affordable for independent artists. So many conferences you go to just the tickets, five, six, seven hundred dollars um, and you know, that's a huge investment. So we wanted to make sure it was, was affordable for independent artists. It's not a moneymaker for us. Our goal is just to cover some of the costs. Um, but we really do it because we want it to be, uh, a learning, uh, experience for the independent artist community Two, We wanted to make sure that artists got real actionable advice that could help them move their career to the next level. So when we think about programming, we're not as interested in having like the head of Sony talk about whatever, because that's not our audience. I would be, you know, perfectly happy to sit and listen to someone like that talk about how they approach the business from a, you know, their head position, their executive position. But that at the end of the day, doesn't really help independent artists get like, how do I get more gigs? How do I build uh, my audience to the next, you know, to the next tier of like a thousand folks? Or how do I... Uh, make the jump from being a weekend warrior to a full-time musician? How am I making sure I've got all my bases covered so I'm making the most money possible? Those are the things we want to address and make sure that they're extremely actionable. We actually vet all our speakers, and uh, some of them have told us that they've never had to go through so many hoops to speak at a conference before. I'm like, that, good, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> I want to make sure that the content we put up, that the content that, we put up is... is uh, is very, very good, and, and they get their money's worth. I've been to a lot of conferences, both as you know, a panelist and as an attendee, where there, this is, it's not a discussion like, 
making sure the audience gets value really isn't doesn't seem like much thought was put into it. A lot of it, I've been on panels where, you know, five minutes before we go up, we're kind of trying to work out what we're going to talk about. I'm like, that's not what we want to do. We want to make sure that people uh, are going to deliver really solid advice that our artists get excited about and um, and go out. Yeah, a couple other things that we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure it was as diverse as possible. Uh, you know, it's very important to us to get lots of representation from different communities both genre and different uh, races and backgrounds and uh, gender that we get a lot of good representation in the music, you know, of the music communities that are out there speaking, sharing success, helping artists understand what's going on. Um, you know, the music business has had a bad rap of not uh, being, you know, having the most diverse cast of characters. And so we're trying to just, represent the audience that uses CD Baby. I mean, we have such unbelievable diversity of genre here that, I mean, there's like 800 genres represented and there's still more being added all the time. So it's just like people from all over the world. And um, so that's important to us as well. And uh, yeah, so it's just really a, a great time of getting together, very community feeling. It's hard to sell that when you're, when we market the conference, but it's just such a community love fest of just getting together with like-minded folks that, uh, it, you know, I'm just so happy that I get to be a part of it. Cause when I go, you know, I, I'm one of the main folks putting it on, uh, here at CD baby and, and making a lot of the, you know, content decisions and such. But when I go, a lot of it to me is just being there as an attendee and just what amazing time it is to be with other artists and hearing their stories and hanging out and just really a positive, friendly environment a lot of times in the music business when you go places it kind of feels like especially there in nashville because i lived in nashville for a long time and you can mm -hmm. feel like everyone's competing against you it's like if he gets that gig that's that that's bad for me if there's all these people coming to town i don't want them to you know get in on my territory and it can real feel really competitive but um but at this conference it's like, it just feels like hey we're all in this together we're a community that can help each other and so I just look forward to it. It's going to be such a great time in Nashville because it's at the Omni Hotel, which is a couple blocks away from Broadway. So it's like party central, which is not what we've experienced where we've had it in Chicago. It was kind of in the downtown, more financial district. So it's kind of dead at night. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting. You know, we're going to have a lot more performance opportunities for artists that we didn't have Chicago because we do have so many venues right outside the door. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be a new element. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And it, I think for, for the price, if you can make it, it is definitely worth your money. Awesome. What so is what you're saying is, and the, yeah. what, what is the price and how, how do they, uh, how can they get some more information on this? It's just, the tickets are just 69 bucks. Uh, right now that's the early bird price. You can get them at DIYMusicianCon.com. That's DIYMusicianCon, you know, for conference.com and the, all the information's there. Um, the hotel is a very nice hotel that's going to be at. And if you want to get in on the hotel uh, rate, uh, I would say don't wait because Nashville is super short on hotel rooms. And so the, the hotel price that we have might seem pricey, but once you start looking around, the average hotel room at that same time will cost you probably about 150 bucks more. And they are hard to come by. Nashville is a very hot hotel market right now. They're building hotels as fast as they can, but so 
yeah, all that information's there. We can get tickets and get a hotel room, and it's going to be a great time. Killer. Killer, killer. Well, thank you, Kevin, for um, for spending the time, man. I, I love what your company's doing. I love the place that you're coming from. Um, it means a lot to to me that to, to talk to somebody like you in a position that you're in, knowing that you're that you were an artist and you still are an artist. You, the the small town poets recently put out a project, right? Like, in, was it Christmas? We well, we had a Christmas project a couple years ago. That the, the beauty of a Christmas project is it sees new life every year. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually headed to Memphis at uh, the end of this month. We're going back to Ardent Studios where we recorded our first couple albums, and we're going to start working on a new project. So nice. I'm very excited about that. Back to the root. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's been this year is the 20th anniversary of our debut album, so we're sort of uh, we're not looking at it as a bookend, but another story plot point that we're back to where we started. And uh, just getting to go back to that amazing studio, such a uh, uh, such a historical studio that just getting to record there is just uh, uh, an honor. So we're going to be there recording for a bit and hopefully have something new out. Uh, probably I would my guess would be it'd probably be closer to fall. All right. New, new small town awesome. poets effort sometime around the fall, right? Right around when the DIY conference is just getting done, I would imagine. Huh? Yeah, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be busy at all. All right. Well, Kevin no. uh, Bruner, vice president of marketing from CD Baby. Thanks so much for uh, spending the time with us. It means a lot to Brent and I that uh, I know you're extremely busy. It was really, really valuable for you coming on. We, we're very grateful for you. Mm. And well, uh, Thank with, you. Absolutely. You're welcome. And so uh, with that, listen, guys, that's why this podcast exists. We want you to win. We're trying to figure it all out together, how we can make a living making our music, because that's what you were born to do. So uh, keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.